This is a Library Channel program from the UC San Diego Library. Visit us at www.uctv.tv slash library channel for interviews, author talks, and other programs that will inspire you to read, write, think, and dream. It is a great pleasure to welcome you all to today's Holocaust Living History Workshop. Thank you everyone for joining us today for this very special and marvelous event. I'm, I'm very confident that it will be marvelous. I already heard a, um, a little snippet of uh, the wonderful music we'll hear the other day. Thank you also to the UCTV video team for uh, all their work recording uh, this event. Now I'd like to ask Dr. Mitchell, Eric, uh, to the uh, podium as it were. Eric? Uh, thank you, Suzanne, and uh, good evening, everybody, and thanks so much for joining us tonight. It is uh, my pleasure to acknowledge that tonight's event is sponsored by the Lou Dunst Memorial Lecture Endowment. As many of you know, Lou was a Holocaust survivor from Czechoslovakia and one of San Diego's best-known and beloved survivors. From the establishment of the Holocaust Living History Workshop in 2008, he was an integral part of the program and repeatedly shared his experiences with students, staff, and our community. After his passing in 2015, Lou's widow, Estelle, continued her support for the workshop. Committed to keeping Lou's memory alive, Estelle established the Lou Dunst Memorial Lecture, and she was present at the naming of the Lou Dunst Classroom in Geisel Library. Sadly, Estelle herself passed away a few years after her husband. Today, it is with gratitude and affection that we remember and pay tribute to both Lou and Estelle. Lou, who grew up speaking Yiddish, would undoubtedly have enjoyed today's program. Now, let me turn the mic and the stage over to uh, my colleague, Amelia Glazer, who is going to introduce tonight's performers. Amelia? Thanks so much for having me. And I'm really uh, honored to be able to introduce and welcome uh, Professor Ana Sternschis and Soy Karelianka to UC San Diego. Both are exceptionally creative minds and talented scholars. And I first met both of them about 20 years ago, give or take. The project that they are going to present, Yiddish Glory, uh, The Lost Songs of World War II, is a project that centers on music that was written during World War II. And in the midst of this incredibly dark period in history, an ethnomusicologist by the name of Moisier Birogovsky, together with his team of scholars, discovered songs that had been written by Jewish Red Army soldiers, by refugees, by victims and survivors of ghettos. Uh, Yiddish Glory, the project that resulted, was nominated for a Grammy. It was probably the first Yiddish academic project nominated for a Grammy. Um, it's been widely recognized and, uh, and appreciated with numerous accolades. It also received the Moscow-based Fiddler on the Roof Award. Um, but just a couple of words about uh, both Professor Sternschis and Sekarelyanka. I first met Professor Sharansis Schiss, I think in Vilna in 19, Vilnius now, Lithuania, in 1998, when we were both students of the Vilna summer program. Um, got to know her better when we were both graduate students at Oxford, uh, where she ended up earning her DPhil in modern languages and literatures in 2001. 
Anna was doing this fantastic research into how Soviet Jews coded Jewishness. She would later go on to write a book called Soviet and Kosher, Jewish Popular Culture in the Soviet Union, 1923 to 1939, which came out in 2006. I make my graduate students read this habitually. Uh, my favorite example from this book is one of her subjects who discusses a recipe for how to make kosher pork. Um, you know, you just have to add a little sugar. Um, she's also the author of When Sonia Met Boris, an oral history of Jewish life under Stalin, um, as well as numerous other really, really fantastic articles and work. Uh, Professor Stanches holds the Al and Mala Green Professorship in Yiddish Studies and directs the Anne Tannenbaum Center for Jewish Studies at the University of Toronto. She's just completed a term as the co-editor-in-chief of East European Jewish Affairs, together with the late David Schneer. Um, it's really been a pleasure to work with her on some projects around this journal. Uh, Anna is currently um, a Guggenheim Fellow, and we're really happy that she can join us amidst her research. Uh, her other awards include uh, a number of things, but I'll just mention a couple. The President's Impact Award at the University of Toronto, as well as the Israel Bonds Women's Division Award. Uh, it's really a pleasure to have you here, Anna. I've wanted to bring you to San Diego for a long time. Uh, Psykarilienka, who sometimes goes by his original name, Pavel uh, Leon or Pasha, um, I've also known for many years. In fact, I don't know whether you remember this or not, Pasha, but I remember a conversation in the middle of the night aboard a boat uh, on the Neva River in St. Petersburg during one of those summer klezmer festivals. I think it must have been around 2007 because I just started working at UC San Diego and I, you know, hypothetically proposed that we ought to bring him to San Diego and didn't actually manage to make good on this proposal until a couple of years ago when we first brought him to give a concert on revolutionary music, which completely packed the, uh, the loft. We had to turn students away. Um, Psoy wrote a dissertation um, about the Russian writer Vladimir Galaktionovich Karelyanka. This is how this is where the uh, the musical Nom de Plume comes from. Um, but he has he has performed on stage since 2000. He's published one book of, uh, of selected essays and song lyrics, the hit of the century, as well as 14 CDs. Some of these are in collaboration with other musicians. Uh, Opa is one of them with Daniel Kahn, um, Igor Krutogolov. Um, Soy is a member of the organizing committee for a Russian American music festival called Jetlag. Uh, which is held uh, annually. Uh, so he's also known for his, uh, his explorative vision of the art of translation. And he shared some of this with us at his last concert at UCSD. Tradaptation is, is the concept of the art of, of translation musically and also what he calls spell art. And that is, you know, playing with foreign texts, emphasizing linguistic distances and multilingual songs. He sings in a number of languages, Russian, Yiddish, English, French, Spanish, uh, among other things. Um, so without further ado, it's such a pleasure to have you here. And I'm really looking forward to your presentation tonight. Um, thank you, Amelia. And uh, honestly, like every time I start thinking when we met, like how many years ago it was, I, I wish like we should add 10 years to that, you know, we'll still look impressive and yet will make us feel more <laughs> relevant and more contemporary. Uh, I'm really excited to uh, be here and uh, present this program with you. 
26 years ago, librarians of the Ukrainian National Library in Kiev, led by Lyudmila Sholokhova, discovered 15 unnamed boxes filled with handwritten Yiddish documents that looked something like this in a dark, dark corner of their basement, which was located in the church, actually. It turned out that these papers were long-presumed lost archive left behind by Soviet Jewish ethnomusicologist named Moisey Berigovsky, who Emilia just mentioned, and his colleague, uh, linguist Ruvim Lerner. Sadly, the only picture I have of Ruvim Lerner is this mugshot when he was arrested by Stalin's uh, government in 1954 conducting this project that I'm going to talk, we're going to talk about today. Berigovsky, Lerner, and a number of other people uh, spent World War II preserving Yiddish music, stories, and jokes from Jews living and dying in the Soviet Union in ghettos, working in the home front, or serving in the Red Army. Most of the songs in this collection were created by women, many by children. Psoy Karolenko and I are the first team of an artist and a historian to work with these documents. And uh, these documents are first and sometimes the only Jewish eyewitness accounts of the Holocaust in Ukraine, simply because in many places, there were no survivors, or survivors did not live long enough to tell the stories. Only songs remained. Of six million Jews killed during the Holocaust, about one and a half million were killed within the Soviet borders, and of them, about 900,000 in Ukraine. None of the songs that was found in that archive have been known before. They have no parallel texts in famous collections of the Holocaust music from Warsaw, Lodz, Vilna, and other places where Jews lived and died in Europe. Some of the documents that we found in Berigovsky's collection uh, are earth-shattering and heartbreaking at the same time. For example, there is a note written by a little kid who was interned in a very short-lived Berdichev ghetto. Uh, this is a monastery of Berdichev, a ghetto there existed only for a week or 10 days. And uh, this is a town with a large Jewish community uh, where as soon as Germans uh, invaded Berdichev, they rounded up all the Jews, put them in that monastery and killed them within uh, a few days. So the note is dated within that time frame. And, uh, you know, the, another person who, uh, who, one of the people who was killed in that ghetto was a mother of Soviet writer Vasily Grossman, uh, known for his uh, very long novel, uh, Life and Fate. So one of the, this note in Berigovsky's archive is very short, and it only says two things. Don't forget that we existed and how we died. And then it repeats in Yiddish three times. Fargesunsnit, fargesunsnit, fargesunsnit. Do not forget us. There are also notes from places like Ghetto of Kamenetsk Podolsk, uh, where 26,000 Jews from Hungary and near, nearby parts of Ukraine were also shot in August 1941. Uh, there are no survivors of uh, um of a short-lived ghetto that was established in Kamenetsk Podolsk right before that massacre. They had a ghetto later, but that's a different story. And uh, we have a note written on the onset of that massacre. I'll show you that actual note. You see that it's written in Russian with um, uh, children's handwriting because it was a child that wrote it in a very bad Russian full of mistakes. 
Uh, it's a remake of a famous Russian song that says, uh, why was I so misfortunate to be born? But it describes in detail as many as possible, what was going on in Kamis Podol's ghetto. That's the only document we have from that place, uh, from that time. Berigovsky and Lerner planned to publish these materials in a volume uh, called Jewish Creativity in the Soviet Union during the Great Patriotic War. You see this beautiful, sexy cover of that volume on your screen. You see, like it was all typed out. Uh, even went through one round of censorship in Stalin's Soviet Union, but it was never published. So today, we will share some of the songs that were included in this volume and some that were not, and tell you extraordinary stories behind them. Now, because we're presenting this program in the midst of the pandemics, we thought we would pay more attention to how people made sense of epidemics and diseases during the war. To be honest, we didn't have to look too hard to find examples. Epidemics of cholera, dysentery, tuberculosis, outbreaks of measles, and especially typhus transmitted via fleas and human lice, literally plagued Jews imprisoned in ghettos all over Poland, Ukraine, and Transnistria. Transnistria alone, this is the area of contemporary Ukraine and Moldova between rivers Bug and Dniester. Many of 200,000 Jews who died there during the war died from starvation and diseases, as well as cold weather. Many stories and songs that you will hear today tell us how people made sense of their lives during those scary months between summer of 1941 and the end of 1943 especially during the winter of 1941, uh, the coldest one in recorded history of European winters of the 20th century, when pandemics became major killers. So our first song is called Transnistria Lullaby. It was recorded in 1945 by uh, Berigovsky from uh, um, uh, six different kids, but you have two examples here uh, on the screen for you. One of those children was named Ruth Uplenger. She was a student of a fifth grade of school number 18 in the town of Chernovitz. And um, uh, another one was uh, from a child, I don't know the gender, Elvin Akor. They both said to Berigowski that they heard that song in winter of 1942. Uh, if you look on the screen closely, you will see that these songs are written in Yiddish with um, handwritten. These are these children who wrote it in those notebooks that they used in schools. And that's because after they sang the words to Berigowski, he always asked them to write down the words to make sure he didn't miss any. So these are the documents that uh, are the original handwriting of those children who survived the Holocaust in Transnistria and wrote down those long songs with this beautiful handwriting right after the war in 1945. I will explain later why kids were such an important part of uh, sources for Berigovsky. But for now, please welcome Soy Karolenko with the Transnistria lullaby. Sleifens Jugend die Maschinen, enes voll der Zug. Mir verjugt die Sitzen drinnen, man schickt ins Zebug. 
mir verjuckte sitzen drinnen, nen schickt ins Jester, schika gris mir zu. Fehl mein Momen in mein Schwester, wo sonnen du schon du. Fehl mein Momen in mein Schwester, wo sonnen du schon du. Gefinnen, Eldringer neut, in der Scheiner Ukraine, jetzt regiert der Tod, in der Scheiner Ukraine, jetzt regiert der Und hinger Kelten, Deutas auch gebracht, Deutas so viel bringen selten, kein mehr größter Schlacht, Deutas so viel bringen selten, kein mehr größter Schlacht. Kein Matzeiwe ist fahrens nicht du. In a Sommerrevergräusen legt man ins Zeru. In a Sommerrevergräusen legt man ins Zeru. I will clap for Psoi for all of you. I know you want to. Um, in addition to Typhus, this dark lullaby talks about the deportation of Jews from Bessarabia 
and Bukovina into the northern parts of Transnistria. During winter 1941-42, Romanian soldiers kicked out 150,000 Jews from their homes and forced them to walk to Dniester shore. Tens of thousands of people died on their way from starvation and cold. Many of them ended up in ghetto in Bershad, located in Vinitsa region of Ukraine. People lived there under the constant threat of death from hunger, infectious diseases, and harassment from the Romanian police. Frida Muchnik, uh, one of the survivors of that ghetto, mentioned in her interview uh, done in the early 2000s for the Centropa project that girls were in especially biggest danger in that ghetto because, as she said, they were abused in beastly manner. She survived because her mom was hiding her from the very beginning and no one knew she was there in the basement of their house. The mom, who is pictured here as well, um, the mom kept bribing the members of the Jewish council of that ghetto, as well as Romanian police, so that they look the other way and don't look in the basement. Sometimes they didn't honor the bribes and went to the basement, but she bribed them anyway. Bribery was part of everyday life uh, of that ghetto. And our next song uh, was recorded from a woman who also served, also a young woman who survived that ghetto. Uh, her name is Genya Soifer. Let me see. Um, and I, uh, she was 18 in 1945. I don't have a photograph of Genya Soifer to show you. Only this handwritten paper that she, where she wrote the words of the songs. Uh, that you're about to hear now. Um, we don't have her photograph, but we have something else. Uh, Frida Muchni could not remember a single uh, member of the Jewish Council of Romanian police who her mom bribed. But Genya Soifer's song, written as, er, uh, recorded in 1945, spared no details of who exactly took the bribes and why, and also what she wished on them for them. So welcome back, Soy, with the song In the Cold Days by Genya Soifer. In the tech, in the culty, what men will gain him, Kim Balte, ay, 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 Winners of Windort and Lofen, what men will in the aim get roughen, ay, 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 Ter hab mich bald der Blut on mehr. Ai, 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 Du Adriatina, ter hab mich bald der Jander mehr. Ai, 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 ai. Und Menden zu zeigen, nehmen mich in Walz auf Rangeschicht. Ay, 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 Bin ich doch von dort antlaufen, hat man mich nach Heim getroffen. Ay, 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 Wie ich her me klappt in Tier, se gehen Palizianne herfier. Ra, 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 ra. Bin im Bettel in se 
крету из гивена гроз до шреку. Ай-яй-яй-яй-яй-яй-яй-яй. Перлмутер, секретар, шрайтер, един кит хабар. Та-ра-ра-ра-ра-ра-ра. Из дох базах штолц, хактерин притуре холц, ай 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 ай. Перел мутер дер курносер трутин балтянемер восер ай 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 ай. Дос хабаротил гени. Инкин балты заньпирге кимен та ра 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 Инди тек, инди калте отмен миркен инкин балты та ра 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 Бенег зэх фэн дорт антлофн отмен михэн дэр хэнги трофн Thank you. Oh, sorry. Thank you, Pasha. And um, I do want to say that the Peril Mutter, who's mentioned in that song, was a businessman from Bukovina, who himself was deported to Bershad in the fall of 1941. And he was in charge of food distribution there, so he got a lot of hate his way, obviously. Gradually, Bershad ghetto became one of the largest ones in Transnistria. By the fall of 1941, there were 25,000 people there. By August of 1942, only 10,000 people remained, with 150 to 200 dying daily during that awful time. Many of them died from typhus. Every day, a man with a horse buggy picked up bodies and dumped them in the cemetery, the photograph of which you see here. They were only buried in the spring of 1942 when they could dig a little and uh, put them underground, the bodies. The problem of typhus was not just an internal ghetto problem. Nazi authorities, both Romanian and Germans, did not want disease to spread over the occupied territories. Jews were the easiest to get rid of to control the epidemics. Not once and not twice, Romanian authorities came to the leaders of ghettos and said, if the typhus was not under control, all residents of ghetto would be killed right away. And they actually uh, acted on this. The 50,000 of Jews of Bogdanovka, for example, were killed in 1941 to prevent the pandemic. In order to save ghettos, uh, residents of ghetto, Jewish council authorities, Jewish leadership, as well as medical specialists, had to think fast on how to deal with this. Uh, it was not an easy task. They didn't have medical supplies, no abilities to isolate sick people, not enough wood or coal to heat people's houses, and a very strict timeline with their and thousands of other people's lives at stake. Sometimes they succeeded. For example, in Shargorod, um, a small town also in Vinitsa region of Ukraine, uh, in 1941, 2,000 local Jews and 5,000 deportees from Bessarabia were put in ghetto. This is uh, the, some of the remnants of it. Uh, and um, uh, according to historian John Anshel, typhus killed 4,000 people in Shargard. The Romanian authorities threatened to kill everyone else unless things are under control within three weeks. 
So ghetto authorities set up a hospital, then another one, then public toilets, showers and bathhouses. It helped a little bit, but not uh, to the extent that they needed. So finally, somebody had an idea to build a soap factory and sell the soap both to ghetto residents and to uh, outside villagers. And that saved the ghetto. The result, the pandemic died down, and epidemiologists today who specialize in mathematical modeling, words that are sadly too familiar to us now, calculated that doctors and soap makers working uh, in Shargard saved thousands of lives. 12 out of 27 doctors who were in that ghetto died themselves during uh, while treating typhus victims. So our next song is about this enemy called Typhus Laos. It often happens that the worst tragedies are preserved uh, not through tragic songs or stories, but rather through humor. Humor that helps people to live through the worst possible situations. In fact, about quotable songs that Berigovsky preserved from those ghettos were humorous. And this one is an example of such humor. As you can see, it condemns lice and also praises the real heroes of that ghetto, the doctors. Now, this song for our program is pre-recorded uh, in today's COVID situation both uh, by Psoy Karolenko, uh, and you will see it's him who's singing because you just heard him sing live. Uh, but in this uh, song, he performs it together with Toronto-based group called Payadora Tango. So this is the... Um, uh, original document of the song. Now I'll show you Payadora Tango. Um, the tune for this song was originally written by David Bagelman, Polish composer who himself died in Auschwitz in 1945. And uh, Toronto-based musicians, Drew Jereka, had um, and his colleagues performed it for us, and Drew also arranged it uh, for this performance. So you will hear, see on the screen, Drew Jereka himself, violinist Rebecca Folkstein, pianist Robert Horvath, and double bassist Joseph Phillips. And of course, Psoy uh, recording, uh, uh, performing the song, and they all pretended to be lice. So that's the decoration. So.
Nor pulitzer blos manaroi sashe mazbenshik tahura entra la 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 la. No fortune bergesut fontanan xvol machnaman sedesonam tra la 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 la. Oi fortune bergesut fontanan xvol machnaman sedesonam tra la 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 la. I hope you, you smiled a little when you watched this and we're back to horror stories. Um, one of the scariest places in Transnistria was a camp named uh, Pechora, located in a town with the same name in Vinitsa region. And uh, Romanians occupied this beautiful town, which was also known as Switzerland of Ukraine, at the end of July 1941. And in September 1941, Romanian authorities converted the summer estate of the aristocrat Pototsky family in Pechora, which you can see a little bit of it on your slides, and also a former sanatorium uh, for the Red Army soldiers into a death camp for Jews. It was fenced, it was hard to get out, hard to get in, and above all, no food was delivered there. The goal was death from starvation. 4,000 people died there between 1941 and 1943, and others were on the way there. Prisoners called the place Dead Loop, referring to the closed fences and to the fact that it was on the high, uh, steep shore of the river Bug. There are no photos of Pechora from that time, but there are many of the presents. The one that you see looking at now, uh, are actually, I took them from TripAdvisor. It's the place functions again as a sanatorium. It advertises massages and baths and actually unique microclimate because apparently those fumes from those rivers are very good for you. And uh, in order not to upset vacationers too much, uh, there is on the very side door of the entrance to the uh, Pichora, there is this plaque, of, 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 which you see with the white thing on black is a uh, plaque that says that uh, people were uh, murdered there. Uh, and um, it commemorates uh, what happened here 70 years ago when thousands of Jews from nearby Tulchin, Bratislav, and other places of Ukraine were deported there only to die from typhus, starvation, and other diseases. Songs created in Pechora and the ones that survived in Bergovsky's archive call it the place from where no one comes back alive. In fact, survivors of Pechora say that when people started dying from typhus there, they were first buried in the nearby Jewish cemetery, but then it got really full. So again, like in Bershed, they buried them all together later in spring. And what you see on the right of this slide is a sign that says mass grave or brother's grave that commemorates that place where people died from typhus. They were also afraid to bury them in nearby villages because locals were afraid of the pandemic. Many Pichora prisoners were children. Uh, they were lifelines for others because they were small enough to smuggle outside of the camp and beg in nearby villages. They could also go down the river and get a little bit of water. And uh, some of them also survived to tell the story, and Berigovsky got them and recorded those songs from them. One of those kids' name was Yosef Broverman, 
who came to Pechora from a town in Ukraine named Tulchin. I put a photograph uh, of some sites of Tulchin for you, uh, because I don't know if how you imagine Ukraine. I definitely don't imagine it with such a classic, a classicist style palace as it is, but this is Tulchin. And uh, before the war, about 3,000 Jews lived in Tulchin. Only 20 of them lived to see 1944. And that person, Yosef Braumerman, was one of those uh, survivors. Uh, he didn't come back to Tulchin after the war. And in Pechora, he lost his parents, both of whom died from typhus. And he wrote a song to commemorate their death. And, um, you know, he also wanted to talk about the town of Tulchin, which he missed a lot. And he spoke about... Uh, you will see, you will hear in a second about the road that Tulchin residents had to take to Pechora. They had to walk um, about 15 to 20 kilometers there. And, uh, you know, by uh, a coincidence, one of my classmates, uh, with whom I studied in Moscow many years ago in high school, uh, Nikolai Gotza, actually comes from Tulchin. And uh, he's not Jewish. He was born in 1974, like I was. And, uh, you know, we were just talking about uh, Tulchin and about uh, Yiddish history that was there. And uh, he uh, said to me, well, I knew there was a Jewish community, but I didn't know anything about this. So anyway, we read some of the memoirs of survivors from Tulchin together. And he said, wait a second. They were walking on Commissarov Street from Tulchin to Pechora. This is the street on which I grew up. Nothing changed there since the war. So this is the photograph he took for me, and I want to show you the snowy road uh, off Tulchin uh, uh, on which people walked to Pechora. And next to it is a photograph of the vegetable processing plant that uh, was built right before the war. So this was this um, chimney was probably the last thing that Tulchin Jewish residents saw uh, before they left Tulchin for good. And now, please welcome back Psoi with a song called Tulchin. Kuntrochein mol noch darmonen, unser frier dika zeit, unser mazo, unser laben. Bosot unser Mulgischein, unser Mulke, unser Weinen, und Aschir und Onanig. Oi, oi, meine junge Jorn, gehen nicht dem Deutsch aweg. Nur darum die junge Beimer wachsen, Zweigen werden gelieb. Und am Allersoi gezwittert unser Leben in Tulchim. Kommt die Zeit und von die Beimer flieht der Scheiner Zwitter ab. Punkt der Soi, du slichte Klappen. Geht bei uns als Wiederob, wo du stehst nicht, wo du gehst nicht, und aschir und an Anweg. Es wird noch scheinen unser Leben in die Frierdigkeit. Oh 
Uh, this is one of the few songs that you hear today that didn't come we performed with a different tune of course some of you recognize the tune by written by Fred Schnitke already after the war but there is a reason for that uh, which I can address in Q&A if people are interested but I want to meanwhile I want to talk about Vintovkes which is a Yiddish word for rifles because next I want to talk about another chapter of Soviet Jewish history is reflected in those songs and that is 500,000 Jews who served in the Red Army. Uh, what we learned from this archive, and this is something we did not know from thousands of oral histories of Soviet Jewish war veterans, and that is that during the war, they sang in Yiddish about their experiences. Uh, many of them sang about revenge. In fact, a lot of the songs were very angry, and they called on soldiers to abandon their human side and see enemy as an animal that has to be killed as opposed to a human. A person who came up with the slogan, by the way, was a Soviet journalist, also of Jewish origin, named Ilya Ehrenberg, who was uh, by far the most famous Soviet journalist of his time, who published an article in 1941 called Kill the German. Uh, you know, New York Times, when it republished it, uh, it um, made it a little bit more uh, politically correct and called it Kill the German. In Russian, it's called simply Kill. And, uh, you know, this uh, article just uh, um, called on soldiers to uh, kill without mercy. A lot of songs written in the Soviet Union during this time essentially took lines from this article and sang them because it became so popular and resonated with so many people, including songs that were created in Yiddish. Also, those Yiddish songs really praised weapons, rifles, pistols, rockets, uh, because they helped them to fight against the army that targeted their people. Above all, Jewish soldiers sang uh, loudly and clearly that Jewish men do not avoid fighting in the war. And they were fighting themselves against an anti-Semitic myth that spread during the time, and that is that Jews are sitting out the war in Tashkent and not fighting. So the songs are saying, no, we're fighting and we're fighting, we're using all these weapons. So 
praise of weapons is very prominent in the songs. And our next song that you will hear is actually called I Lie Beside My Machine Gun. Its original title was I Love My Machine Gun, but we changed it a little bit for contemporary sensibilities. It was collected by uh, a man named Mendelman. Uh, later after the war, he became uh, quite a known Yiddish writer, also an artist, a friend of Mark Chagall. But during the war, he was a, a Polish refugee from Lodz, who served in the Red Army, and as we learned from this archive, spent some time collecting songs from his fellow Red Army soldiers who were singing in Yiddish. So please welcome back Soy with the song called I Lie Beside My Machine. <laughs> Arumilizal stil nor stuen de grizlux zakvig. Arumilizal stil nor stuen de grizlux zakvig. Hnermon zakman freilov stepul, verot es nid geken. It's this as pustol menschen, ale stiber farbre. Yeah. Um. As you noticed, thank you, Pasha. As you noticed, maybe there is a line that um, it gets repeated twice in that song. One says, "I fight the Germans so that my people live free," and then so that all people should live free. So there is a story here. So I'm showing you here the document with uh, you know typed up first, and then with some corrections. So those corrections are a result of censorship. Now, Berigovsky and his colleagues did not work, of course, in the atmosphere of academic freedom. It's not that they could record everything that they heard or publish everything that they heard, to say nothing of people who had to make decisions whether or not they sing songs to them. But in this particular song, Berigovsky was worried that it conveys too much of a nationalist feeling. It was all about uh, defending Jews. It was all about missing Jewish life. And to Berigovsky, even this song written in 1944 in Yiddish uh, by a Jewish soldier seemed a little too uh, Jewish, a little too nationalist. So he didn't want to be accused in uh, spreading Zionist ideas that could be read that way or Jewish nationalist ideas. So uh, my people were replaced with all people. And uh, the song was not published anyway, and, uh, um, you know, so it didn't help. But it's an interesting uh, note from the time. Another thing that I want to say about this uh, song is that uh, this is Mendelman together with uh, Mark Chagall. And um, 
you know, his son, Tzviman, lives in Israel. And uh, I spoke to him not so long ago, and uh, we talked about his father's uh, uh, literary works. Mendelman was extremely prolific. He wrote thousands of pages of novels and poems, most of them about his experience in the Soviet Union. Uh, you know, there are a lot of details about a lot of things about how he ran away from Lodge, how he got married in Rovno, how he ended up in um, uh, Mordova, how he got drafted in the Red Army. There's a lot of things. One thing that he doesn't mention is that he was collecting songs about uh, from Red Army soldiers. So when I first mentioned it to Tzviman, he says, well, maybe it was a different Mendelman. And then we looked at the documents together. You know, when we looked at the documents together, you see here on the right side, you have it handwritten. Tzviman recognized his dad's handwriting. So, of course, it's the same Mendelman. And, of course, that tells us one more time that in this particular case, in the case of this archive, history and memory are simply telling very different stories of the past. Now we're going to move on and talk about another experience of Soviet Jews and also some Polish Jews, and that is survival in Soviet rare. About 1.4 million of Soviet Jewish citizens and 250,000 Polish Jews survived the war in Central Asia, Siberia, Ural Mountains and other parts of Russia away from the front. It's a long story of how they ended up there. Polish Jews, sometimes Romanian Jews, but not uh, to the less extent, uh, often became came under the Soviet rule between 1939 and 1940. Many of the business and religious leaders and political leaders of the Jewish community were arrested by Stalin's uh, Soviet government and deported to jails. Uh, they were arrested because uh, there were, were concerns about them being anti-Soviet. So those jails happened to be located in the faraway places of the Soviet Union, away from the war. So if 300,000 Polish Jews who survived the war, 250,000 did so in the Soviet rear, many of them in places like Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan. There were also Soviet Jews who were evacuated by the Soviet government in those places because they worked in strategically important industries, such as weapon making or food uh, processing or uh, other in the cloth making industries, industries that were necessary for the Soviet war effort. Some Jews who ended up in Kazakhstan during this time were arrested by Stalin long before the war began. They were not Polish Jews at all as well, but they were arrested for religious activities or, you know, for any other alleged crimes. One of those people was a man named Yakov Merzon. I wish I could show you his photo, but I don't have it. Um, he was a teacher and then a former rabbi from Krivoy Rog in Ukraine. He was arrested in 1937 and ended up in jail in Kazakhstan, from where he was released in 1944. And uh, by that time, he was very sick. He lost all his teeth, and uh, he had no money, so he was begging on the streets of Almata. Kids, um, refugee kids, were making fun of him. They were throwing rocks at him and dirt at him. And at some point, he yelled at them and cursed them in Hebrew. One of those kids went back home, told their parents about a strange, scary beggar with no teeth who swears at kids at Hebrew. Parents went to investigate what's up, and they found out who he was and hired Yaakov Merzon to teach their kids a little bit of olive base, to teach them a little bit of uh, Jewish uh, alphabet and, and writing. 
As Yaakov Merzel was doing that, he was recording songs that he heard from those children. Because most of them were Polish refugees, some of them were Romanian refugees, and um, because he was he really didn't trust the Soviet regime. He didn't really trust the Soviet system. He was scared for himself and for those children. As he recorded their songs, he did not write a single name of a single child. So all of them uh, are written down in that notebook as anonymous. At the end of 1945, he mailed that notebook to Moisey Berigovsky because he heard he was collecting this music. And in 1946, he died not knowing whatever happened to this material. And what happened to that material is because of Miyako Merzon, we now have living voices of uh, Jewish refugees who were in Kazakhstan during the war. So the song that you will hear next comes from that notebook. I will show you a little bit of that later. Uh, it's called Purim Gifts for Hitler, and it is written by an anonymous Child. I know Purim is uh, a little bit far away, but the message of the song I hope will resonate with you. Du bist nicht man erste Soin, hob geata Sacha Soin, ich will noch verschraben, euch dein Namen in einem Zettel, wo seid's so gut nicht gut. Hier alle sich hat Ziel gestellt, mich ob zum Mappen von der Welt. Nur nicht an euch ist es geschenkt, Stalin wird schon kurz in euch die Hand. Thank you, Pasha. Um, so before we move on to the next song, let's just quickly tell you about this Amos Royal High, which I am sure you loved hearing. But you see, like when we worked with this uh, song to start with, the song just ended up with Haman dying on a tree and there was nothing about Amos Royal High. And it turns out that uh, 
the original version, the handwritten you see from the notebook of Marzon, actually had it. And this uh, is how, once again, we see Berigovsky's going through censorship and changing the message of this song in order to fit the culture and where he had to publish those materials. In summer 1944, all workers of the Cabinet for Studies of Jewish Culture, where Berigovsky worked, returned to war-torn Kiev. Ukraine lost almost 900,000 Jews to Holocaust. In some areas, less than 1% of Jews survived. And during those three years that followed from 1944 to 1947, Moisei Berigovsky, Ruvim Lerner, Hina Shargarotska, and some others went to conduct fieldwork in Ukraine and even went to a DP camp in Berlin. The goal of each trip was to collect stories and, and songs from survivors. One of the things that Berigovsky noted in his notebooks is what he saw was not just devastation, but the sense of emptiness. And we heard it also in Mendelman's song about machine gun. They felt like the places that they visited were empty. Now, of course, they were full with people. There were many people living in Shargard and Tulchin and Bratslav and Chernovtsy. It's just that they were empty of Jews. And it was very hard for them to also find people to uh, interview and find songs uh, from because survivors were really afraid to talk about those experiences. According to Soviet legislation, those uh, people who survived the war under the Nazi occupation had to prove that they were not collaborating with the German occupiers, especially if they were Jews. Because the idea was that if a Jew survived the war, they must have done so something so horrible against the Soviet regime that Germans left them alive. So most survivors could not prove that they did not collaborate. Most of them survived by a miracle. And instead, they were just hiding what happened to them, except for one group. And that one group are the group of people who are notoriously horrible at keeping secrets. I, if we were in person, I would have asked you what you think who this group is. But I will just answer my own rhetorical question myself. Of course, these were children. And Berigovsky went to schools and started asking them, Hanala, where were you during the war? She would say, I was in Tashkent, like parents would tell her. Hanala, do you know any songs? Sure I do. And Hanala would go on and sing all the songs about Pechora and Geta and all this. Berigovsky would ask, where did you hear that? She says, what do you mean where I heard that? I spent three years in that ghetto. And that's how he collected the bulk of the material that ended up in this archive. But emptiness was still bothering him. And uh, what also he was looking for, and was very hard to find from kids, and that is the sound of music. So far, everything you heard was recorded on paper, sometimes with notations. But Berigovsky was also desperately looking for people who could play some instruments. And, uh, and uh, you know, he was a trained ethnomusicologist, actually the first person in the world to have a PhD in ethnomusicology written on the material of klezmer music, uh, which was awarded to him in Moscow in 1943. By the way, the next person in the world who got the PhD in ethnomusicology based on klezmer music was Han Kuznetsky, which happened in Boston uh, uh, in the 1970s. And the Sabirigovsky was very interested in finding those tunes. Whenever he could find them, the ones that survived the war, he would write them down. 
one of such tunes, the instrumental tune with no um, words, was called Parom, a boat ship. He recorded it from a musician in 1945, although originally the tune uh, was recorded in 1907. So it's a very old, uh, um, it's in a very old piece. So today we decided uh, to presented for you for the first time since 1945 in a form of uh, an instrumental performance uh, performed exactly as recorded by Berigowski uh, from, by Toronto-based cellist Beth Silver, who uh, got this piece of paper. You will see, like, this is how it looks like uh, from Berigowski and then made a performance out of it. So today is the world premiere of this piece, which gives us a chance to hear exactly what Berigowski heard in 1945 in some unknown performer in Chernobyl. premiere. Um, our next song uh, is more optimistic. It was recorded in 1947 from a survivor of uh, uh, an unknown ghetto in Transnistria, uh, but from a person named Urinso. Uh, he performed that song at uh, a concert that, um, uh, you know, was a spontaneous concert that was organized to celebrate victory in World War II. Uh, and uh, um, it uh, was set, we don't know exactly what tune it was set to, so so is using his imagination, but we do know that this song uh, speaks of words that truly resonate with us today. It celebrates victory and hopes for the world with no fascism. So please welcome Sword Back, hold on a second, with a song called The Victory Song. Het komen nooit de einde van lijden en van pijn. God als je werd hier klappen, onkritsen met dit zijn. Was hier zijn taas zo slecht met ons geveen. Toch laat je glossen glezel, en neemt ons weibel rezel, en geeft met meer attentelen daarvaar. Weil zo veel zich gießen. Und Bromfen soll viel fließen, und mir gehen nach jüdischen Bulgaren. Da seid ihr nicht am Eich und trinkt euch was mehr. 
files did I murder swell milch of men in the dosavetish land mitter stalinish around that wise poses can drink joys lahaye for the roiter arme Shevet zayale az gizun zayzonze un vichtem chaver Staliner zol zay mit yorasach weil auf der ganzer Welt ist keiner zu ihm gleich lechayim. Uh, okay, now I finally saw the messages on my Zoom saying that we're way over time. So we're going to just wrap up. I'll say uh, one last uh, thought uh, and then open it for Q&A if you still have energy for that. Um, the book that Berigovsky and Lerner and his colleagues prepared with all the songs and stories was never published. Hitler was gone, but Stalin, who the songs praised, uh, as you heard just now, changed his attitude to Jews and government began to persecute them. In 1949, the Cabinet for Studies of Jewish Culture was closed. In 1950, Moisei Berigovsky was arrested and only released from jail in 1956. Ruvim Lerner was arrested in 1951 and also released in 1956. Both of them, this is Berigovsky, 1950, right after he lost his job. This is when he came out from jail. Uh, Berigovsky died thinking that his work during World War II has been lost forever. Like biblical Moses, who never got to see the promised land. He never got his, to see his songs being performed anywhere, let alone across the globe from his native Ukraine, let alone on Zoom. So today, we wanted to thank him and praise his heroic efforts that preserved the voices of people singing for the darkest chapter of modern Jewish history. Yes it's, uh, yes, it's 70 years after the archive was closed, but the songs did see the light of day, and they made it to San Diego via technology. And we want to thank Amelia Glazer uh, of the University of San Diego, Eric Mitchell, Suzanne Hillman, Yekta Mohammadi, Marcy Bretz, Lynn Burstein, and everyone in San Diego for making that happen. I also want to thank Social Science and Humanities Research Council of Canada and the University of Toronto that supported this research for the past six years. Above all, we're grateful to you for your attention tonight. And uh, we are finishing up with a song that celebrates the return to normalcy. When Jews finally stop laughing at Hitler and stop, start laughing at themselves. This is a song that Berigovsky and his colleagues recorded in a German DP camp. And the humor is at the Jewish relief organizations that helped survivors there. Thank you. And after so is finished with the song, I will st stop sharing screen and uh, you're welcome to ask questions. On gekommen in Berlin, nita her und nita hin. Immer fort, me fort, me fort, in me sitz noch hoppe in Nord. Me läuft zum Joy, me läuft zum Reben. Er kann sich nicht kein Netze geben. So wie es lieber Ruf, was wird sein mit uns der Sof. Lieber Brüder, nur betuchen. Mir zu schämen noch ein paar Wochen. Weste sein, ob ihr näher seid. Und find dort die 
shine all right. I'm enjoying their starry pios. A kitten's need kind end for an of a pros. Mizukim is a zochen way. Menteras is okay. Zogne, zogne, is no key. Was do a puchen fin sachnut. There is no rachmat kriyat. Ergitaera certificat. No hareg shine bizun. Ich bin schon etwas mit. Es wird sein, da jen und da jen. Retraus, adieu, goodbye. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you both very much. Uh, that was a truly wonderful and moving program. And uh, I hope, uh, Anna and Pasha, you will be able to read the comments. Uh, there are some very uh, nice and appreciative comments uh, there. So we have a couple of questions, probably more. I see the number increasing. So the first question is from Deborah uh, for you, Anna. Um, what did you mean when you uh, said that history and memory tell different stories? Could you elaborate on that? Sure. Um, so uh, what I mean by that is this. We have a lot of sources on the Soviet Jewish war experience that, uh, you know, that come from uh, people, oral histories. Uh, for example, a Shoah Foundation uh, recorded uh, thousands of interviews with Soviet uh, survivors of the Holocaust. Blavatnik Project recorded over a thousand interviews with Soviet Jewish war veterans. There are projects of like Fortune of Archive at Yale uh, that again interviewed the survivors on different topics. And a lot of them talk about what happened to them during the war. And uh, not a single person, well, I mean, I didn't read all thousands, but I read a lot. Not a single person mentions a single one of these songs. None of the songs survived in popular memory. And, you know, we're taught to think about music goes last. You know, people would remember music because that's how our brain is wired. Our stories are told from music, but that is not what happened there. Uh, people were asked about music and they just did not remember it. And so that's one thing. Another thing is there are a lot of things that in the documents of the time mattered. For example, who exactly was taking bribes in those camps? Who was a hero? Who was a villain? These people are named with their first and their last names in these songs. In later day oral history interviews, very rarely people you know talk about those names. If they talk about Jewish villains, you know, people who maybe a Romanian Jews who ended up in those ghettos or Bessarabia and Bukovinas, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of tension between the groups, people will not be named because that doesn't seem appropriate to talk about this kind of hostility in today's world. So, another, uh, but the songs, they don't know yet what will be appropriate, so they talk about it. Another thing we see in this music that we don't see in today's, uh, in, in later kind of uh, testimonies, is the story of revenge. 
these songs are very angry. They're very graphic in description of violence. They don't have an idea what it means never again. Like today, when we talk about Holocaust, we talk about never again. Uh, you know, a, a concept that means we have to learn what happens, what happened. We have to know, uh, our history and then we have to move on. Well, the sentiment in that time is we have to know what happened and we have to kill everyone who's killing us. So today, that kind of stuff, sensitivity does not come across uh, well and doesn't show up as often in oral histories, but it's very prominent in songs like this. So um, history and memory, in my view, are telling these different versions of that history. So I hope it re uh, answers your question, Deborah, but if not, then I can follow. Thank you. Uh, we have another uh, very interesting question from Greg, and this is a question for both of you, I think, or maybe um, primarily for Pasha, I'm not sure. If you only had the lyrics, how did you reconstruct the accompaniment? How did you reconstruct the melodies for uh, these songs? Uh, uh, there were several uh, different directions which depended on some details. For example, some songs actually did really uh, point at some known popular Yiddish uh, or Soviet uh, or, or Jewish Russian Soviet song uh, by some lines which were obviously quotations. Uh, but uh, some other songs we had to reconstruct, uh, reimagine. Uh, the, the, the basic idea was that uh, a simple amateur uh, author would create the song using popular tunes, Soviet tunes, their Soviet education, uh, and uh, very much, uh, to much extent, uh, songs from films. Uh, many films were popular among soldiers. Some films were about war. Some films were featuring characters which were actually, they, they latently performed the Jewish identity. For example, Mark Bernese's character in the, uh, in the film, uh, two battlers, uh, two warriors, actually features a central character who is obviously Jewish, though it's never been mentioned in the movie. He's from Odessa. His name is Arkady, which is some kind of a Russian name, but popular among Jews at the time, and so on. And he would sing songs, and these songs were popular um, part of uh, part of popular culture in the Soviet Union, which was influenced by the Jews and which influenced the Jews. So uh, it has a, a significant uh, Yiddish song influence in it, not necessarily because of the Jewish background of the authors. It was just one of the very important world trends at that time. It was connected with popular songs, with uh, light variety song, with theater song, theater character songs, and cinematographic character songs. So we paid a lot of attention. To me, it was big inspiration. Uh, songs like those that come from Mark Bernese's repertoire and similar. Also, of course, uh, there was uh, a bunch of popular Yiddish songs, popular songs which are part of their heritage. We also considered such. Like in the song about my machine gun, we use some sort of uh, Jewish or Romanian Jewish doina for a melody very intuitive, improv style. Uh, and uh, also, you, we, have, we have 
heard some anachronisms in this program, such as Alfred Schnitke's melody, which was written for a Soviet TV show uh, decades later after the war. But this is in the spirit, it's, the character sings, actually, it's, it's, it, it's based on Pushkin's, uh, Pushkin's uh, play, which, uh, which features a certain character whose little town was destroyed by plague. By, by Black Plague in Middle Ages. But in this case, we speak about what was called the Brown Plague. And it, this kind of devastation ballad, Hurben Ballade, as it were, is very, it fits well. And it's in the spirit of the song. So that's why we used that one. So sometimes we were in a dialogue, not also with 40s, but also with later or, com or contemporary Mm, voices, and it was some kind of reimagining the world of the implied amateur author by using their and our outlook, as it were, both. So it was some kind of uh, chemistry, and uh, uh, this is what Daniel Rosenberg, who produced the uh, actual album Yiddish Glories, is uh, uh, calling mm, very to the point, musical archaeology. Oh, okay, yeah, this is fascinating. I'm so glad that uh, Greg asked this question. Um, your answer was most uh, illuminating. Uh, we have a question from Julie. Uh, Julie tells us that her parents are from the region of uh, Bessarabia, Chodin, and Chernovitz. And she's wondering if you, uh, Anna, know anybody from there. So um, here's the story of Chernovitz. Uh, it was, it, it was, uh, it's a kind of, uh, I don't know if you've been there, uh, Julie, or, you know, uh, but it uh, looks more or less like Venice, uh, sorry, more or less like Vienna. Uh, but smaller and much cheaper. Uh, you know, so it's, uh, it's a European city which had a large Jewish population before the war. That was a very, uh, assimilated, kind of sophisticated Jewish population. Almost nobody survived the war from the old Chernovitz Jews. People settled in Chernovitz after the war, but a lot of survivors from Transnistria, places that I was talking about, Chargorod and Bershad and uh, Pechora and, um, you know, Tulchi, like uh, places, places that had Gerja Bokrich, uh, they ended up in Chernovitz after the war. So I need to know more about the story of your family in order to know what happened. If they come from Bessarabia, it is uh, if they survived the war, most likely people were deported from Bessarabia to one of those ghettos. And then some of those ghettos, uh, you know, if they were lucky, a little healthier and younger, they survived and after the war went to live in Chernovitz. So that's trajectory is possible. I have to look up what happened in Khotin, but, um, most Jews who ended up in Chernovitz after the war, uh, were not from there originally. Very few survivors. Thank you. Uh, we have one question. I think it was already answered, uh, unless I misunderstood it, uh, misunderstood it uh, from Arthur. Where are you, Anna? I understood you're in Toronto, right? I don't know if this is a friend. <laughs> you have to check out the, the Q&A afterwards. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yes, I'm in Toronto. I'm at the University of Toronto, and that's where I'm speaking from. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but I do have see a funny a remark here from Alan Weinberg, who says that we're boycotting Amazon. We're coming to the city. Uh, close to my heart. So um, I think you can buy it anywhere. I don't know if you're boycotting iTunes, but it's there uh, as well. It's also an iCloud. And also, I guess it's not a super smart way for me to say that. You don't have to pay to listen to that music. It's uh, available for free on the website called YiddishGlory.com, where you can uh, click uh, you know, on the music and then all the songs will be there. And they're also English and Russian and the Yiddish uh, um, English Russian translations and Yiddish originals, both in Yiddish and Latin transcriptions on that website. So, um, please. And also all of the songs are on YouTube. So if you put Yiddish Glory on YouTube, you will find them. Also, many of them are in form of a video, which is subtitled, which in my opinion is the best way to enjoy them. Thank you, Anna. So uh, all that remains is to thank you both uh, from the heart, Anna and Pasha. That was truly wonderful. And I do wish we could have hosted you in person, but I thank you for being willing uh, to be here in spirit, at least, in the musical spirit and other spirit. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you again, uh, Anna and Pasha. Thank you, Amelia, Eric, and uh, the UCSD uh, TV team. And thank you, our audience, for being here with us and spending your time with us. I wish you all a good night. Goodbye. Thank you so much. Ashenem Dank, and thanks, Suzanne. Thanks so much. Thanks. You're very welcome.